Hey Sandra, what's wavy, kind of unkempt, ugly, and relatively dangerous? <laughs> Donald Trump and his ridiculous hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, but also the whole American railroad system. By the way, I heard Trump is visiting East Palestine, Ohio. It's like the murderer returning to the crime scene because he reversed the Obama regulations for trains transporting hazardous materials. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Hey, Dubie friends, welcome back to Dubious. Hi, Neil. Hey, Sandra. It seems the universe is messing with us again, just for grins. Right? This week, we're talking about the recent train accident in East Palestine, Ohio, which is the second time in less than half a century in which an industrial accident and an ensuing environmental disaster happened after an identical fictional story was published. Back in 1979, the film The China Syndrome with Jane Fonda... Michael Douglas and Jack Lemmon came out in theaters one week before the Three Mile Island nuclear disaster in Pennsylvania, which led to 140,000 people being evacuated out of their homes. And this time, although not quite as current, a train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, is almost exactly like the fictional story of the derailment of a train carrying hazardous chemicals in Don DeLillo's novel White Noise. The train was carrying 344 tons of polyvinyl. Wait, 100... wait, the real train or the train in the <laughs> No, the real train. I know, I was just trying to clarify it for our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> the real train was carrying 344 tons of polyvinyl, 140 tons of ethyl hexyl acrylate, 140 tons of ether, and over 100 tons of butyl acrylate. I mean, we're no chemists, but really that sounds... I mean, I don't even know how you pronounce those things because I can't, Like, but it, it sounds really bad. It's all of those things go boom. And the, the town of East Palestine, Ohio, has a population of about 5,000 people, all of whom have had to evacuate their homes as well. All of these chemicals are skin irritants, and as we just said, all of them are flammable. Yes, obviously. And the fire uh, that the authorities started on purpose, actually, after the derailment, uh, burned for five days after the train crashed and... Literally a black spot on the earth from the sky. And unsurprisingly, we found out during the fire that Norfolk Southern had lied about the number of hazardous chemicals on the train, uh, which were later updated to include chlorides and phosgene, which are carcinogenic. Of course they did. Uh, incidentally, my father's family is from an area between New Orleans and Baton Rouge that has chemical factories which produce these things too. That area has been nicknamed Cancer Alley for decades. And uh, my dad's second wife was a widow of one of the victims of those chemical plants. Her first husband worked for a machine shop which recycled pipe valves and fittings which were also contaminated with phosgene gas. It's like a nerve gas from World War I, literally. And uh, she died after suffering multiple cancers in her lifetime as well. She lost one kidney to cancer and had leukemia after that. And you think that's just from, you know, being in close contact with her first husband? Probably. I mean, if you think about it, like she washed his clothes and slept in the same bed with him every day. And he would come home covered in, like, phosgene-contaminated 
material every single day from work. Yeah, it does make sense. And look, also relevant to uh, this story and what's going on in East Palestine is how little media attention it got. I mean, let's remember the event occurred on February 3rd. And it's been, I think, more than a week until I started seeing things on Twitter and TikTok, not really in the media, and almost, I don't know, a week and a half until I actually saw something on the mainstream news, you know, media. It was shocking. I mean, everybody was focused on the unidentified flying objects over Canada and over the US and the Chinese flying balloon. Yes, don't forget about General So Balloon, too. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, I understand that's like a little worrying, but that's like geopolitical flexing and stuff. It will not affect us. Nobody's going to die. Nobody's going to get poisoned from it. You know, like, let's focus on what really matters. And since um, I started a little bit of a rant here, I want to let our listeners know that uh, the Ohio River has now been determined. It's contaminated. And the thing is, the Ohio River flows into the Mississippi and then into the Gulf of Mexico. As laymen, to us, it seems that 15 million plus people in 12 states may soon drink water contaminated with vinyl chloride, right? And don't forget we have rain, right? And that plume of like particles from the chemical burn. This is a gargantuan ecological disaster. And I think it's already affecting flora and fauna locally, but also very far away. Mississippi is the largest source of fresh water, nutrients, and sediments for the Gulf of Mexico that goes into the Gulf of Mexico, right? So it impacts the Gulf circulation, the geochemistry, the ecology, everything. This is much bigger than I think anyone's really trying to let on. And let's not forget that actually for 10 days, the transportation department, as well as the local authorities uh, in East Palestine, Ohio, they had nothing to say about it. Not a word from the secretary of the department, Pete Buttigieg. I think the governor said that everything is fine and the water is safe, but we're going to get to that in a second. I mean, look, this is a big thing. I would have liked to hear more about it. And the county, by the way, the county did declare that the water in East Palestine, as we said, is safe. But Guess what, guys? It wasn't the county, really, who said that. Those results haven't even come in yet. It was a company contracted by Norfolk Southern that assured everybody the water is safe. Yeah, this whole thing is a mess. I mean, it turns out after the fact that the governor may have been trying to uh, kind of get federal resources and get help with all this, but he was getting turned away. And then, you know, the town, you have to figure everybody in these small towns probably works for the railroad in some capacity. So we'll have more on that later and just the weird allegiances people have when their own backyard is literally being polluted out from under them. I mean, and FEMA wasn't ordered to deploy to help the Ohio town where this happened until the 18th of February, over two weeks after the train had derailed. Some people are saying online that Biden denied this Palestine federal help, right? When in fact, from what I've read, DeWine, the governor of Ohio, rejected federal assistance initially, and he tried to keep this covered and under wraps for the first two weeks. And that's why now the Senate is going to investigate Mike DeWine's East Palestine response. So DeWine is a Republican, but he does not seem to be a loyal Trump guy. 
Like he condemned Trump for instigating the January 6th riot, and he's always refused to endorse the stolen election conspiracies that Trump and his entourage promoted. Uh, he was publicly pro-gun control after the mass shooting by an incel terrorist type guy in a Dayton nightclub in 2019. I mean, he was one of the first governors to initiate COVID control policies and like closing sporting events and dine-in restaurants when no other Republican governor would do that. And he also immediately banned the sale of Russian-made consumer products after the Ukraine invasion. And uh, he was one of the first governors to volunteer his state to participate in taking in Ukrainian refugees. So on the surface, maybe he's not all the way terrible as far as Republicans go, and he's been in office for a very long time in multiple offices. From what I understand, the only complaint people have here is his response to the tragedy. And to be honest, indeed, in the first almost 10 to almost two weeks, I mean, have we heard of from any of them? And the whole decision of like, let's burn all these chemicals. and let's, I mean, I don't know. We, we found about it days later, way later. I don't know uh, what the interests are here and how they align, but it does seem that at the end of the day, the people are going to be the ones who suffer. Regardless of how this pans out, one thing I do have to give DeWine credit for, that somebody asked him in a press conference what he thought of the uh, regulations that allow such a train like this one to carry hazardous materials without being technically a hazardous materials transport for regulatory purposes. And his quote was that that was absurd. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know what I always say, right? You can ignore your trauma and hope it disappears, but the only way forward is to deal with it. Life keeps throwing curveballs at all of us. Fireballs, speedballs, too many balls. <laughs> and when you're overwhelmed, you're not at your best and it affects your interactions with the people you care about. So how do you deal with it all? Call your therapist like I do. Yes, dupe friends, I'm a BetterHelp happy customer. I've been using their services since way before we even started this podcast. I can attest to the fact that Sandra is, uh, shall we say, a much lovelier person to be around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shut up. Also, my therapist will love hearing that. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, it's affordable, it's flexible, and most importantly, it's entirely online. And you'll get 10% off of your first month if you sign up at betterhelp.com dubious, or just click that link in the episode notes. Yes, and then you can talk to your therapist whenever and however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. So do yourself a favor, take care of your mental health, because when you feel empowered, you are prepared to take on everything life throws at you. Visit BetterHelp.com dubious to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash dubious. I do have uh, a bone to pick, though, for sure, with local authorities in East Palestine, because from what I understand, they tried to pretty much con each resident into signing uh, what's it's called the hold harmless document for a lousy 1K check. 
I guarantee you that came straight from the uh, rail company's lawyer as well. Yes, most likely Norfolk Southern. I mean, I don't like them. Okay, let's put it that way. So about those regulations and how absurd it is that this train and everyone like it is basically unregulated. I mean, think about that. There are no sufficient standards in this industry at all, in my opinion. And there is another example of how corporate money writes laws for the companies that the laws are intended to regulate. Uh, the Obama administration, after a similar string of train accidents between 2012 and 2015, proposed a rule requiring that all trains which transported hazardous materials to be upgraded, right, to more modern electronic controlled braking systems to replace the slower pneumatic brake systems that they've been using for decades. Predictably, money from the rail industry got that compromise down to allow train operators to excuse themselves from the rule if they had less than a certain number of train cars carrying hazardous material at a given time. So at that point, it's basically just a logistics puzzle. If you separate out the phosgene and vinyl chloride cars among multiple trains, you can just exempt yourself from the rule. Yes, it seems so. And predictably, they weren't satisfied with that compromise from the Obama administration either. During the Trump administration, they got the Government Accountability Office to manufacture a fraudulent cost analysis of the new brakes rule, and the Trump administration's Department of Transportation abolished the rule entirely. Since then, multiple environmental groups like the Sierra Club and Earth Justice have sued the Department of Transportation to try and force a court to reinstate the rule based on evidence of the fraudulent GAO cost study. Yeah, I, all of this isn't very surprising, I suppose. At the end of the day, there are places that no one cares about because wealthy people don't live there. And Ohio, broadly speaking, unfortunately, is one of those places. Pennsylvania is another one right next door to it. And as a political strategy, Republicans put a lot of effort into these places that wealthy people don't care about, and they win elections in those places. I mean, these are all of those small population red states, and they all get two Republican senators most of the time despite the fact that people there are literally victims of conservative politics. Yes, that's the thing. I mean, and they keep voting the same way. In 2018, the Association of American Railroads uh, spent almost $5 million, and Norfolk Southern spent over a million dollars lobbying to reverse that rule that we were talking about. So where did that money go? Well, it's hard to know, because the Trump administration also basically allowed nonprofits to have anonymous donations. <laughs> so <laughs> you don't have to really tell anybody anymore. You know, used to, up until the Trump administration, you could just go look on Open Secrets and you could see who had donated to who because that organization kept track of stuff like that and all had it nice and searchable on the website. But yeah, you can basically file a nonprofit report with the IRS every year that say, None of your business on all of your contributors, and they say that's fine, thanks to the Trump administration. Yeah, and this reminds me about the Trump going to East Palestine. Um, Erin Brokovich tweeted earlier, referring to Trump, we are moving our event to Friday. The circus is coming to town and we want to steer clear. <laughs> <laughs> 
But look, it's insane, and I cannot fathom how people can be literally dying of cancer caused by the chemical refinery or the coal mine or whatever other environmental abomination they live next to and still vote for Republicans. And look, I'm not saying the Democrats are saints, but I mean, you can't really compare. You really can't. I mean, if you have to choose, the choice is clear. You got to vote blue. But they keep voting for the same people that literally are putting them into the ground. Yes, they do. Every time, don't they? Yes, every single f***ing time. There was a sociologist, I remember, a few years ago, who moved and lived with and studied people around oil refineries in southwest Louisiana, um, near Jennings, actually, the town where all those corrupt cops and or maybe local drug dealers were murdering young girls, which was probably the inspiration for the HBO show True Detective. We have an episode about, yes. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, the sociologist pointed out that the pervasive mentality in such heavily populated and polluted places was similar to the theology that was used to control slaves before the American Civil War. People thought that, well, this life is awful, this place is terrible, there's no point in doing anything to try to improve my earthly existence, so all we should do is try to be faithful Christians to ensure our place in the afterlife, which must be better. And we all suffer, that's the thing, because the rest of us, like, look at this spill, the water, I mean, all these rivers, if you look at the map, of southern U.S., like all these river basins, the Ohio River Basin, the Mississippi River Basin, all these, they're connected. It's all getting poisoned all the way down to the Gulf. Do you know how many crops only grow because of the sand from the river? I mean, it fertilizes farmland throughout the southern U.S. Yeah, and look, think about it, because we were talking about wind and rain carrying the particles from that burn, from that plume of smoke, smoke, dust, toxic, whatever that was, right? Then that's going to get into the ground hundreds of miles away. Then crops are going to grow that are going to be contaminated. Then cattle and other animals are going to eat that. And then the people who eat meat are going to eat contaminated meat because the cattle ate that, you know, grass. It's such a, a disaster of, I think, bigger magnitude than we even begin to understand. Yes, all for money. Wasn't there something about render under to Caesar what is Caesar's? <laughs> yeah, right? And that passage is about money specifically. Anyways, they love their contradictions, I suppose. Well, I have one more thing because you mentioned money and <laughs> things come up in my brain. And about this whole discussion of FEMA, which, by the way, is on the ground now and helping and all this stuff. Let's not forget this, as Trump is set to visit this Palestine, you know, to probably criticize Biden's response to the derailment, let's remember that this is the guy who blocked 20 billion in hurricane relief for Puerto Rico following Hurricane Maria, one of the deadliest US disasters in over 100 years. I will never forget watching him throw paper towel rolls at people. Do you remember that? I was gonna say, yes, not only, I mean, do you remember those images? I was, my jaw dropped. I mean, not only he withheld FEMA aid to Puerto Rico and mocked the dead and like, he topped yes. it all off by throwing paper towels at those in need. Yes, yeah, so like he's the mascot, you know, like the NBA team's animal or whatever throwing t-shirts into the crowd he's yes. throwing paper towel rolls paper towels yes it's insane 
But for comparison, I mean, you're from Europe, Sandra, so tell us about trains in Europe, and I'll tell everyone about my experience with trains in the U.S. afterward. I mean, let's take the Germans and the French, for example. In Germany, you can buy a year-long railroad pass to take a train as many times as you want for less than 4,000 euros. What would you say a car in the U.S. costs by comparison? Well, if you finance a car, you're going to be paying a car payment of anywhere from $4,000 to $6,000 per year, plus probably another $2,000 to $4,000 per year in gas, plus insurance is probably going to be another $3,000 per year. So I'd say for the average American who makes, say, $60,000 a year, around 30% of their income goes to a car. Yes, well, Germany and France, it's more like 4% of the average person's salary spent on train passes. And, you know, that's the thing. There are many advantages in having a good transportation system and good infrastructure, because not only you transport large numbers of people in a safe way, there are virtually no accidents or rarely. It's also less polluting. Trains they have now in Europe, and you know, especially like if you look at Japan, the technology is so advanced, there is basically zero emissions, zero pollution, zero everything, right? So it's a pity that the US can't do a better job. I mean, in fact, the British, by the way, the British are constantly complaining because around 12 to 14% of the average person's salary is spent on train passes. Now compare that to 30% here in the US. Well, freedom isn't free. As they say all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love this with the freedom as if, you know, as if in Europe they don't have freedom, you know, like it, it's f***ing insane. The things I hear here, you know, like with the guns, for example, freedom, oh, our free, they're taking our free. What freedom? I want to go to the store to do grocery shopping without being afraid that I'm going to get shot down with an AR-15. Living like that, that's not freedom. Anyway, it seems in America, freedom costs quite a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah, in America... The railroads are also privately owned, which is kind of the bottom line in terms of why they're garbage. I mean, railroad construction in America was a completely corrupt enterprise from the very beginning. Enormous land grants were given to railroad companies in the 19th century to build the American rail system. I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of acres of land recently scoured clear of the Native American population by the U.S. Army, of course. And the government gifted the railroad companies all of this land and let them keep the finished railroad for company profits forever. Yeah, it's always funny to see Americans buying the conservative political bullshit about how this or that costs too much when you see a video of a public hospital in Norway or Sweden that looks like a literal modern palace, you know? Yeah, but the Nordic countries did not give all of their state oil reserves to, you know, like one family in exchange for rigging two elections back in 1910 or something. <laughs> As they say, those social democracies are just, they're stupid, you know? Yeah, yeah. So stupid that they have other luxuries like, you know, fish still alive in the water and the sky without a weird purple cloud blocking the sun that rains cancer on people. <laughs> All right. As we mentioned at the top of this episode, this is an example of a case where a fictional story predicted almost exactly the real life event. 
And the last scene in Don DeLillo's novel, White Noise, is exactly the scene that happened in real life on February the 3rd. The family from Ohio in the novel, who get evacuated from their home due to a chemical spill from the train, have all come to accept their drug addictions and their descent into violent sort of retribution behavior and their newfound love of consumerism. And they all enjoy a weird colored sunset together with their neighbors because the sun is obscured by the chemical cloud hanging over their town from the train wreck. Accurate even down to the drug addiction. I mean, a lot of these like little, little tiny towns all over America, you know, because of uh, lack of jobs and other situations that are happening, social, you know, and economical uh, predicaments, a lot of people there are addicted to drugs. And back to the white noise novel, this novel predates the opiate epidemic that has engulfed these former industrial towns uh, all across the country. Yeah, and it's a situation where, you know, when people worked for the steel mill or when people worked for the railroad company, you know, those were union jobs and had good yeah, health the coal insurance. Mine, yeah. That's it. They had good health insurance. And then when the mill closes down, whatever, and they have to go get construction jobs for small local contractors or whatever, they don't have health insurance anymore. So they fall back on, you know, heroin as a replacement for pain pills because they have a manual labor job. I mean, this is all very Yeah, and their back is messed up from, exactly. you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not like these people are doing this by choice. It's, you know, this it's necessity. Exactly. And the story goes the other way sometimes, too. You know, there's a town in Pennsylvania called Centralia, for example. It's the inspiration for the film and video game Silent Hill, and just like in the movie, the ground beneath the town of Centralia has been on fire for 60 years. Officials at the EPA think it'll burn for another 100 years into the future. And just like the situation in East Palestine, Ohio, with the chemical spill, in Centralia, there was a problem of overcapacity garbage dumps in the 1960s. The town's solution, just like the Norfolk Southern solution was, was to set it on fire on purpose. The garbage fire set off a coal vein fire, which then spread into abandoned but not sealed up coal mines all around the area. And the consensus was that it would be too expensive to investigate all of the old unsealed and abandoned coal mines around the area. And it was deemed simpler to just buy everyone out of their house and force evacuate the entire town. So the state and federal governments in the 1980s and early 1990s created a literal ghost town on purpose, 100 miles from Benjamin Franklin's home and 150 miles from New York City. It's insane. And look, uh, we should all take a minute to think when we think of other, you know, the developing countries and we talk about them in a pejorative tone and we, you know, like, let's first take a look in the mirror and see what is happening in this country in 2023, you know, before and like what's been happening. Right. And also I was reading actually earlier, earlier today, I was reading something about developing countries and one of the main traits of, you know, developing countries, which you used to call third world countries, but now, you know, the word is developing countries. One of the main characteristics is that in these countries, 
women don't have uh, as many rights as men and more rights are being taken away over time. Combine all these things that are happening, it doesn't look good. We're not on the right track with what's going on. No, no. And uh, it's you don't have to go too far in the U.S. to have the word whole country come to mind about your own country if you live here. And that's not even the craziest part about Centralia, Pennsylvania. Don't tell me that there are Republicans still living in the town from Silent Hill. Yes, there are still people living in the town where the earth is literally on fire for 150 years, as of 2010, anyway. Jesus f***ing Christ. <laughs> they were accusing the state of a conspiracy oh to seize God. their mineral rights. Are you serious? I mean... Oh my God, so the coal mining industry has literally set the ground on fire under their feet, but they don't want to believe it. So they're still going to keep living in a town in which the ground is actually, you know, smoldering all the time for the next hundred years because they are worried that the government is coming to steal their coal away. Yes, American greed is quite a thing, isn't it? Well, I would call it stupidity, but... <laughs> I mean, it took 30 years to evacuate the town, despite the warning signs, because people were refusing to leave. They were scared they would lose their mineral rights. A gas station owner in Centralia noticed that the fuel in his gas tanks was 172 degrees Fahrenheit in 1979. A 12-year-old boy was swallowed by a 150-foot-deep sinkhole in his own backyard two years later in 1981. The sinkhole had lethal levels of carbon monoxide in it. And despite all of this, the state and federal governments did not step in and completely evacuate the town until 1992, over 10 years later. What the actual f***? I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I mean, on the bright side, you know what's not obscured by cancer-causing chemicals? Well, not much anyway. Dubious podcast patron subscriptions? Yes. <laughs> Dubious has a minimal amount of cancer-causing chemical content, and we're not responsible for what little there is. We just I talk about it. Zero. It's in the, I mean, there's this, but we just talk about what's in the news, everybody. Yes. If you like us, you can become a patron on dubiouspod.com and get all our episodes ad-free. There's a link right here in the episode notes on your phone in whatever app you're listening to us in. The China Syndrome was the other example we mentioned at the top of the episode. Uh, of a film which predicted a man-made industrial disaster. In that case, the film depicted a nuclear reactor meltdown, which was mismanaged and then covered up by a power company. And after that film's release in 1979, a real nuclear meltdown happened at the Three Mile Island nuclear plant in Pennsylvania. The nuclear plant is less than 50 miles away from the always-on-fire town of Centralia that inspires horror movies, by the way. Of course it is. <laughs> Pennsylvania, it seems, could provide a whole sort of real-life horror Halloween tours or something. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we don't need your Transylvania vampire sh demon lady. We have, <laughs> we have all the horrors that one could produce right here in our own backyards. <laughs> right? Media coverage of these ecological disasters also varies by class, it seems, now, when an oil pipeline leak was discovered uh, near Orange County, California, you know, where people actually do care a little bit more about the environment, let's be honest, versus rural southern, you know, US, 
there was a massive national uproar over a hazardous waste accident. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying, why don't we have that now also? No, for East Palestine, Ohio, not so much. Barely in the last few days, things started to move in the mainstream media. But this should have been breaking news every 20 minutes since, I don't know, day one. Right. So throughout the entire weekend of the train disaster in East Palestine, NBC spent seven minutes of TV time on the train crash. CBS gave it six minutes. ABC only spent two minutes talking about it. Obviously, we're not even going to mention Fox News or, you know, those yeah, I think they right. had like zero. Probably, <laughs> you know, yes. None of the Sunday morning major network political talk shows said a single word about it after the train derailed. Since then, obviously, uh, as I said, the media started talking about it more and more. I've seen primetime shows about it uh, on MSNBC. But why not from the get-go? And by comparison, there were 143 segments on national TV about the oil pipeline leak near Orange County, California, in four days, according to uh, Media Matters. They did both of these studies for both of these different ecological disasters. And incidentally, just last year, the Colonial Pipeline Company made national news when it reported that it was the victim of a computer hack. But no national broadcast TV stories mentioned that the pipeline company was also currently under investigation at the time for leaking 1.2 million gallons of gasoline into a state park nature reserve near the pipeline it owned. I'm so uh, upset about all this, and that's what gets my dubimeter alarms blaring uh, as far as how things are handled in the U.S. And look, I don't want to say that in Europe everything is perfect. We've had accidents too. But it's not that industrial accidents happen. They will always happen. It's the, I guess in a way, well, indifference or like a very slow reaction a lot of the times. I'm not only blaming the media. I'm not only blaming local authorities or even, you know, like the government, the president, whatever. I'm also talking about regular people, okay? Like people even living in these areas, like you said, the ones that didn't want to move because they thought it's a conspiracy to steal their land or like, and they're living there in the smoke and in the smoldering. Yes. <laughs> Republicans are the worst, but they're not the only ones. Like, you know, we have to be honest here. It's not hard to find people across the political spectrum in public office who will just, you know, kind of like shrug their shoulders and say, oh, well, that costs too much. So there's nothing to be done. We're going to clean it up a little bit. And like, whatever happens, happens. I mean, if uh, you asshole, there is something to be done. And if you won't do it, we can get rid of you in favor of somebody who will do something. Yes, we need to get someone who will, you know, in all these local governments. And again, I have to say it like it is. Nobody is perfect. No party is perfect. But one party is really horrible. And that's the Republicans. So we saw these regulations that were backtracked. They were Obama-era regulations. If they had been in place, maybe this wouldn't have happened. So I don't know. The point is, any of these people, any of these politicians, what do they think their kids and grandkids will do when all of the towns are on fire underground and all of the fish are dead and the rain is giving you cancer and we can't breathe the air? Like, look, people, I want you to just think of something for the last three, four years, I keep getting air alerts. Yeah, we get them every single day because in the summertime when it's humid, there's so many cars driving around in Dallas that the air is yellow. 
Yes, and we get these air quality alerts, and it's like, yeah, it's it's it worries me every single day. So people yes. people just don't pay attention to them anymore. Even though I mean, I guarantee you, come to Dallas in the summertime and you drive downtown during the sunset, you will notice that why is the air yellow? Well. Because when you've got 7 million cars driving yeah, around here every day. Yeah, it's not the sunset. It's the pollution. <laughs> yes, the air is yellow. So, uh, anyways, I guess that means we're back to reading Freud to people and explaining the death drive principle, I suppose. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I mean, look, we really need to move to green energy. We really need to make that move as fast as possible and... There's only one party that's trying to do that, even though they're not perfect, but at least we don't get ecological disasters every three days. Because ever since East Palestine, there are, I think, two or more trains that derailed with hazardous chemicals. Nothing happened, thankfully, you know, like nothing spilled, nothing was on fire. But that was just by luck. And then there was also a truck with some kind of poisonous gas uh, that crashed on a highway in Arizona. And yes. people were ordered to shelter in place. So we need better regulations. So what's the dubimeter for setting a town on fire in Ohio to conceal the true scope of a train accident on a railroad that a lot of quote-unquote developing or third-world countries would be embarrassed to see in their home country? I mean, we're going to link a couple of these videos people have uncovered in the notes. Some of them will show you the exact condition of the train tracks in places like Ohio. It is unbelievable. Like I was watching those videos of how the actual train tracks look. My thought was like, how do trains even manage? I had no idea they were that bad. It's yeah. obscene. It's it's ridiculous. It's beyond so I don't know my dubimeter for this whole thing. I would say 200. First, because it could have been prevented. Secondly, because of how it was handled. And third, because I feel like it's also, I, I don't know, but I think that it's also on people. We can change this. We just got to vote your local shitty government out and replace them with people who would do something. And if they don't, you vote them out and replace them until somebody does something Look, Ohio authorities, in my humble opinion, are lying to people, saying that it's all safe. But people, they've been posting videos of chemicals coming to the surface when rocks are thrown in the water, um, in creeks and waterways, miles around East Palestine, right? There are dead fish in the water. People are getting rashes. They experience dizziness, vomiting, all kinds of poisoning symptoms, right? Animals are dying, like hens and roosters and stuff. So it's no, it's not good. No, it's not safe. And I saw... Somebody talking about, uh, I think this was like a nuclear physicist guy who was saying that if him or his family would have lived there, they would literally uh, move at least 50 miles, like in any like they would not remain there, you know, yeah. to live there. Yeah. So my dubimeter is 200. It is absolutely insane that hazardous chemicals are permitted to travel on those train tracks in their condition at all. Like, it's unbelievable. So my dubimeter is 200 for this episode, for this case. Yeah, I honestly did not know they looked that bad until I saw some of those videos. I mean, we lived when I was a kid in a railroad town outside of Little Rock, Arkansas. It was for the aluminum factory that my grandfather worked at. And I mean, we were around train tracks in that area all the time when I was a kid, you know, riding our bikes around town or whatever. And... 
I never saw a train track look as bad as what you guys are going to see in these videos that we're going to link in the notes in small towns in Ohio. I know, right? It's absolutely insane that hazardous chemicals, again, I have to highlight this because I feel like we need to. It's absolutely insane that these trains carrying these dangerous chemicals, literally death-causing chemicals if they spill, right? It's crazy that they are allowed to go near those tracks, anywhere near those tracks. Well, we Americans set the world on fire until there's no money in it, it seems. Then we just uh, kind of get high and watch the chemical poison sunset. Just like Don DeLillo told us we would in White Noise. Yes, just like the novel. So I'm depressed. Let's call it here. <laughs> I know. That's all we have for this week, everyone. Leave us a review on Apple if you like us and go to dubiouspod.com and become a patron to support us and get ad-free episodes. See you guys next week. Love you guys. 